Hello, everyone. How are you doing? Welcome to another episode on Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast. Here we are with another awesome guest that I think is going to uh, rattle our gears between our brains here a little bit. I'm really excited, really, to take this conversation purely as a learner is what I'm really excited for. This is something that I know with, with this guest here that he's got a lot of experience with and a lot of insights and 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 opinions on as I think something we're all trying to do in education, which is how do we help students own their learning or own try to figure out how to own the systems and their own process of learning while we also try to adhere to all the fun things that the system likes to uh put in our way sometimes as as potential barriers and so i'm really excited for this guest and in this case i'm speaking to none other than john miller so so john i i want to pass baton your way and we'll start off here with letting people know who you are what you do and what in the world you've got going on awesome well thanks for having me aaron and listeners for listening um uh, I am a, I guess my title, if I had a job title, would be a couple of things. I kind of have two sides, corporate side and the education side. So the corporate side, I help organizations become their best selves, I guess, you know, usually through agile ways of working and scrum and other other flavors, but more organizational design and th- those kinds of things. But on the education side, which I think we're focusing on mostly, uh, is very much, I think what you're trying to do is... You said it simply, you know, how do you how do you put the students into the driver's seat of their own learning? And I personally love what you said, actually. It made me think, I was like, not just in their own their own their learning, but the systems and processes around that learning. And actually, I thought it was a really profound statement. And I never framed it that way, but I would probably say that's kind of what I do, uh, is is help to figure out what that looks like. Um, to to shift, to make that shift for students and to help educators in the systems that we're within because it's often not a clear path to do that. So how do you stay practical, uh, achieve the results in, you know, that you need to do in school, but also help them achieve you know, what they're wanting to uh, become and learning, learning in life? Yeah, yeah. And, and I really want to- Agile yeah. classrooms that I, sorry. Uh, no, you're fine. Go for it. Classrooms, which, I've, which I developed, co-developed really uh, with teachers over time. Yeah, and I want to get into that that piece of that that conversation, and, and maybe before we do, um, maybe we'll take one step back because I'm going to go on an assumption that probably a lot of educators that listen to this, as we say agile or we say Scrum, might right. be new terms to a lot of people. And I know even for myself, it's it's still relatively new terminology and and systems, and I think. We've probably been doing it in bits and pieces and not really realizing we've been doing it. And and once we kind of get into the world, we realize, man, there's a lot of awesome potential tools and resources and frameworks. And not that it's a, you know, the magic bullet that solves all the answers, but as we think about organization within systems and trying to get stuff done, you know, how would you, I mean, that this could be a whole podcast in and of itself in terms of what is agile and what is scrum, but just in that kind of quick, you know. 30 second elevator pitch. What, what is agile? What is scrum for those that maybe are going, what are these words that these guys are talking about? Yeah. I mean, we have our dictionary word of agile, which is uh, the ability to, uh, you know, to easily move and change direction. 
but that capital A agile that we that we hear out there, um, the buzzword out there, uh, usually comes from software. It's where it originated. So a lot of the stuff comes from the software world. But really, that's really the idea: is the world is changing. It's uncertain. So how do you achieve your goals when the world changes in front of you? And that's a different paradigm than having a certainty mindset where, oh, I know exactly what's going to happen. I can plan it all up front and just execute. And the way I know if I'm successful, if I'm executing the plan well. And Agile says, well, you know, sure, you need to execute, but your plan is going to be wrong at some point. So how do you shift and change uh, in, in a complex and changing environment? Uh, and that's expanded, you know, agile, the word agile now is expanded beyond software. Uh, so you'll, you'll see like an education and then it, it starts to change a little bit, you know, how it's applied because it's a different domain. But I think the concepts uh, are quite universal uh, as we have a more complex and changing world. How do we, how do we have tools, strategies, ways of thinking to help us to uh, swim within that uncertainty? And then Scrum is a framework. So Agile is more, I, I'm not going to go into all the details. Agile is really a, a set of values and principles, but I won't go into all that. Uh, but Scrum is a particular way uh, of actualizing those values and those principles. And there's a couple others. And uh, so just one way of doing it, really. And Scrum is... Uh, I personally don't think Scrum perfectly fits in the education world, like in the classroom. I think if you look at what Scrum is, there's a specific definition of what it means and rules to kind of abide by. And But a lot of things in Scrum are very helpful. So like you said, bits and pieces of it or parts of it are very helpful. But Scrum is more of a framework to actualize those values, principles, more of the concrete how. And well, yeah. great. Uh, here's what we need to do. Here's what we need to value, maybe. Uh, but how do we actually do it day to day? And Scrum provides a framework for that. Yeah. And I think, you know, as you're talking, a lot of this, the word that pops into my mind on a couple of different areas is this idea of permission. Mm. You know, I think as, as, as people are interested in, and then hopefully this conversation will, will spark some curiosity and, and interest is you get into this world and, and scrum is, is one of many ways to, you know, kind of a, I don't know if it's the right way of, of framing it with, with educators who are new, but I kind of think about it. It's, 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 a tool that sits in a toolbox to help you be more agile, you know, and, and, and create this learning environment. I don't know if that's entirely accurate, but it's like, there's lots of different. I think, it's, I think it approximates it well enough. Yeah. 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 You know, but, and that same time, right. That was like you said, doesn't fit education necessarily perfect. And it's given ourselves permission to find what works for you. And that's really what we're, I think the whole goal of what we're trying to get in education, not just for students, but I think even educators is this idea of permission of, being able to stay nimble and pivot like like you're allowed to do that it doesn't you don't have to have like you said this linear path where i need to have every lesson plan planned out and i think there's a huge shift of of thinking from i'll call it traditional education thinking um and that could be a whole variety of things where if the kids aren't getting it well that's that's because the kids aren't paying attention versus going you know what here's here's a plan i had and just it didn't work, and now I have to shift. And that's not doesn't mean I'm a bad teacher. It doesn't mean the kids aren't are, are are good or bad. It just means here's a here here's a process we tried. It didn't work. Now we'll, let's let's go back to the drawing board. And that's isn't what, I what the, isn't what the great teachers do anyway. It I mean, they yeah. know their their lesson plan is is a great start, and it's awesome if it works out. But they'll quickly pivot and adapt uh, if it falls flat. 
right? And yeah. and they figure it out. So uh, I find it's what you know what great teachers kind of do anyway. Um, I think agile and uh, can bring some some tools and structures to make that more ubiquitous, perhaps, you know, throughout throughout the learning and also shift that to the students as well. Uh, so there's a lot more to it, but the basic adaptability pivoting of a teacher, um, the great ones, they do it. You know, yeah. they're, already, they're already living and breathing this stuff. Yeah, when you bring it to their attention, they're like, I, I don't know, it's just, it's, when you ask them like, how do you do that? It's like, I don't, I, I, it's just what we do. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Like, they don't think anything of it, you know? And so my question to you is, I mean, you've got lots of experience with, with lots of classrooms and, and corporate, I mean, the, the thinking there's got to be lots of parallels for those that maybe don't I want to say don't see it yet not that they're against it or are are ignorant by any means but like trying to process how to do some of this what what have you found yeah. to, to work because I think that's like the key thing like how do we create that spark like that aha moment right for for the adults in the corporate world or for the the adults in the education world to go oh like, yeah, I think it's all, you know, it's always the sense of change, right? Of how do you, the idea is here is to change to a different way of working, different way of thinking or, or slight or better ways of working and thinking. Um, it's always see, feel change. You know, you have to see it first, you know, to be able to, you know, you can read it in books and hear a great argument. Some might, some might be swayed by it, but anytime you get to see it, I find has always been a big aha for teachers and uh, over the years where I've been able to work with some great educators, uh, the early adopters, like the innovators, they, they're already searching for something like this, like the innovative teacher who's not happy with the way the current system is, they're hungry. And yeah. they see this and they see it right away because they know what they want. They just don't know how to necessarily do it. And I think it's a good way of describing it is this, uh, this gives them the how, this gives them a playbook of how to shift uh, where students are being more collaborative and also being more self-directed and how do I interface with that, interact with that as a teacher. Um, but for the others that might need some, you know, aren't yet hungry for it, maybe they're curious. Uh, I find that you, they have to see it. You know, they can hear the talks and that sounds great, but it all sounds like unicorns and rainbows when you hear someone <laughs> talking about it. But when they see it, they're like, oh, it's possible. Oh, you can do it. So one of the things I try to do, I don't, I'm not always successful, speaking of change and convincing people of this, sure. uh, but if I do workshops for schools, I try to get the students and the teachers there together, not just an educator workshop, but the students there. And then I, because I want them to see the students actually, because we actually do it in my workshops. We actually do, you know, like I think like you've done as well, Aaron, yeah, uh, yeah. but we do some ways where they do like a mini project almost as they're learned. They, they, they do a project, but they learn the, the concepts through the project. And when they see the students doing it, they're like, wow, they actually, and I've been surprised at many times where I'm like, oh, this group of kids are going to get it. And then <laughs> get it, I'm like, wow, wow. Yeah, I had a little bit of belief there. So I think seeing is believing as the old yeah, adage yeah. goes. And, um, and we, I think we all have limiting beliefs, right. About ourselves, about students, about what's possible in the current system. And uh, so that's, that's the way I like I like to address it is try to, have them actually see it through some mini thing, right? Whatever it is, either visiting a classroom that does it, maybe going to one of your classrooms, Aaron, because I know that you're doing some of this, uh, or doing a mini project, something that isn't risky. <laughs> you know, maybe don't start with core curriculum, but maybe start right. with maybe start with something on the side or like a after school club, but uh, anything to show like, oh, this is possible. Like, and they actually and they actually do it. The kids will step up, and it's quite amazing. 
Yeah, I love that. So we're kind of in this at the time of this recording in a in an authentic learning experience. And we just uh, told the kids we've I've, I've just given them the keys to the car where we've been kind of working co-collaboratively through how to be agile in our learning. And we're trying to model that as educators where in the middle of a lesson or after hearing a guest speaker, like we literally stop and we're like, we, we need, we need to pivot because we just had some new discovery of learning. And so now let's reshuffle. And we kind of been doing some of this work kind of whole class, whole collaborative, like we're all in this together and kind of been modeling it. And then last week, you know, we, we told the kids like, you're, you're the driver's seat. Now you're in the passenger, you know? And now I think one of the key things that, that I continue to find is to just provide the space, um, not just physically, but like the mental space, uh, some of the emotional space, where it's not just like an on and off switch, where it's just like, hey, I'm going to introduce this. And then, oh, we're great. Like, it takes time for like, even the kids kind of feel you out like, wait a minute, mm -hmm. are you really... I'm, I'm in charge. Like yeah. I get to make the decisions what we're going to do to, to get to this end goal. And there's, yeah. they're excited, but they're also nerve nervous because for the first time, like first time for a lot of kids, that's, you know, that's a big feeling too. It's exciting. And then it's like, wait a minute, I, I, I am responsible. Uh, so I, I, I find this journey to be quite fascinating in the sense of I use the word space and I'm, I'm not sure if that's like the best, best word, but in my brain, it's like, a great word. Yeah. It's to be able to kind of just like marinate in this a little bit to go, yeah. wait a minute. This is and, this and space is to, and, and space to prod around and poke yeah. and, and uh, fail a little bit and recover from it because that's a big part of uncertainty is you are going to fail. And uh, I would, I used to, I'm, I moved to New Jersey, but I used to live in California and I, and I surfed when I was there. And one of the things you learn very quickly is how to fall. You got to learn how to fall. We got to learn how to wipe out. And before you even learn how to get up and take and surf a wave. So I think that's a big part is just learning to fail, but small, learning to fail small, get back on. There's another wave coming right away. And so that space, you know, versus just executing this thing, then this thing, you must do well, must do well versus, oh, let's try this out. Let's see what happens. And I think that isn't just a philosophical thing. That's a thing. That's a real learning and life skill. You know, when they get to the real world, uh, the world they're entering is not going to be, you know, the, you know, you hear this all the time in education talks. So they're going to go over saying it could be the world of old, but they're going to have complex problems to solve and changes and, and things are not going to be easy, uh, which means they're going to stumble. They're going to fail and they need to learn how to do that well. I learned yeah. learning how to fail well, I think it's a critical 21st century skill. And yeah, the space you're talking about provides that. And that kind of fits into what we were saying at the very beginning, too, where I think you know, that idea of like the, the how to think like it's more important than, than what to think. And that's what yeah. I, what I'm really continuing to be, yeah. to be really excited about in this work is can you, how do we create this, the spaces and the conditions for these kids to, to understand how they think, how they operate and, and how to navigate when things don't work, when things do work, when someone else has an idea that, you know, lo and behold, might be better than the idea that I brought to the table. And that's, that's not always an easy pill to swallow. And, and how do we work through that? And, um, you know, and that's where this, this, this system on, on how to think, to me, I'm continuing to stake my claim in that is that that's really like the key um, to learning, which is nothing earth shattering. I'm not the first to, to have this awakening moment by any means, but. As I think we, it's earth shattering to apply it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. I think it's, yeah, you read books and, you know, that's, you know, you always hear, you can hear a TED talk and hear a lot of things that we talk about, right? Yeah. But 
that's all great, but how do you do it? And right. the how to think, but also what, what tools and practices can help scaffold and support that thinking? And how do you routinize it? How do, how do, you, how do you do it consistently where it's not just a, you know, oh, we're just, it's okay to fail. But how do you actually model that every single day? So I think the beauty of recent agile classrooms, um, it's a little bit different. It's different than Scrum, but, you know, it's very similar in some ways is that, you know, the idea of you do something in small batches, you do a small piece of learning and you iterate, but you go through the whole learning cycle. It's like a mini, it's like a mini project. So you take a, say you're doing project-based learning, you do a big, like a big project and you deliver at the end. Well, Agile is no, you deliver a part of that project. Early, not just research. That's that's what I mean, but a real completed thing. Yeah, right. So yeah. if you're building a roller coaster, you're gonna get some piece of the roller coaster that you can test and verify. But by doing that in small, what we call small slices, you learn to fail well. You learn, oh, that didn't work, but it decreases your risk of it decreases your, your risk in the long term because you learn sooner that you're wrong. Uh, so I think this is the thing that agile can help to support the how of thinking in in, in that way. Yeah, and that's what it's, it's it's cool. Even as you're talking about that, it reminds me we're again we're getting ready to to move um, to this this next step. We are in a, a a big project, but like how do we create these in like little micro doses of success and iteration and and you know uh, prototyping is a big thing. And we're well, that's what we're doing this week is a quick. They've been doing some stuff, and now they've got a very short, about seventy two hour window, three days of of class, not full days. And they're going to have to bring their ideas to life in these uh, a mini prototype. But we're trying something different, and we only get one material, and we're going to use just pipe cleaner. So this idea that it, 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 the constraint is designed so it can't be perfect, like it's not just like like you actually won't build a perfect thing. But can you take the ideas from your brain, you know, on paper, and put it in three D and actualize it? And then for a lot of them, they're going to hit that roadblock and be like, actually, I. I don't know how to construct that, which now creates the next, you know, slice or little microdose. Okay, we need to go back and re-engineer. We need to go learn about this. And then we're going to come back and we're going to do almost like we're going to be staging the prototyping. They eventually, they're not going to be stuck with pipe cleaner. They're going to have full rain. But that first kind of piece of. Well, you're you're validating validating reality earlier. And that's the point of it where education, even in corporate world, where you have this very similar, similar thing where. You, you go for what's in your head, you put it onto paper, you you're, you're think you're right, maybe. By putting it on paper and putting it in the plan, and there's actually psychology and research behind this, you're now more committed to it. And then you say, you are right. Yeah. Right? There's just by the act of doing that. I'm not saying, not saying don't plan, but if you do it so right. much up front, and all you do is all the basic steps, oh, we research, and, and, and you, they, you don't see the, any result until the very end to validate did it really work or not. Right. Um, that is that is the thing that Agile makes a shift on. It says, "Hey, with the the likelihood that you're right from the very beginning is going to be be uh, very unlikely, mm-hmm. right? So, how do you learn that you're that you're wrong sooner? Yeah, that's the whole point. And then you get the iteration part where we talk about you know how do you iterate? Well, great by doing things in small what we call increments, small increments of the project, and something that you can actually empirically validate. You know, like a scientist, right? Hey, let's see if this thing really works." And then based on that, you go back and say, all right, this didn't work. What do we do next? Yeah. Right. What's the next right thing for us to work on? And I think that's really the spirit. One of the big tenets of what Agile is about is that uh, working in small increments so you can learn faster if you're right or wrong. Yeah. And you've been doing this work, too. So uh, I'm, I'm always curious on this because 
with anything in in society these days there's all sorts of thoughts and opinions and right and wrong and everything in between and and here we are having a conversation and, and you know by i always tell people i love to share what i think at no, no point do i ever think i am necessarily right it's just real in the sense of this is where i'm at in my own journey but i am curious because you have a much broader spoke uh you know perspective of this work beyond my my little world um, what are some of the misconceptions when it comes to this? Because I feel like there's, you know, the more I dig into it, there's all sorts of things and not to like go down a complete rabbit hole, but I think as, as people start to explore, I mean, you can find about everything under the sun, but maybe even misconceptions in the sense that sometimes it, it, it stops people from even thinking about trying at the same time. And I think that's one of the things is, is I want, I want this work to be continue to, to grow and expand when it fits the needs of an educator, you know, what are some things that, that, that you have found that some misconceptions and maybe there are things that maybe they're pet peeves that drive you bonkers. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, it's funny. I really don't have any pet peeves. I think at least with the education and the corporate side, I do, but yeah, yeah. don't for some reason, it's kind of strange. And, but I guess a couple, it's actually an interesting question. Uh, one is that you that when you start this out they're totally self-directed yes right that you go full-blown and that and then of course that's going to make you stop like whoa are they going to be able to handle am i going to be able to handle this as a teacher right and what does that mean if they go off track do i just let them and uh there's no accountability or guideline like there's no guardrails there and I, I think that's one thing that stops a lot of people because we kind of say here's what it could be like yeah. Right. You know, you always want to show the ideal state. Right. You don't show the here's the first step you do because it's eh, OK. That's cool. But doable. But here's the ideal state that you're going. And people, I think, misconstrue the ideal state with the starting state. And just like you said about I, I think the metaphor of learning to drive is a good metaphor. Uh, if, if I gave if I had my uh, let's see, I don't know, my seven year old, I have a seven, 14 year old girl. So my seven year old, the keys to the car. Um, actually, she might, she might be excited. <laughs> you might be, that would cause some damage, right? But that's a, that's a real metaphor for school too. Uh, my 14 year old might yeah, be you know, a little bit more like, Ooh, I'm not ready for this. Right. Yep. And I might not be ready for it either. Just to hand her the key right from the bat. Right. So yeah. there's just basic education theory, scaffold. How do you scaffold this out? So there's a scaffolding way. And I think that's the big difference for agile classrooms. We build the scaffolding into the model is you don't have to start with a uh, ideal environment looks like, you know, I don't want to say ideal. I mean, I need to back up a little bit. Yeah. You need to grow the capacity of the students to be able to do this. And that's different than it always looking like that, but they need to have those skills and be able to do it. All right. When they need to. And that would be them working in teams, small teams together. And they're a highly self-directed team. So they're, they're, they're making decisions together about where to go and re and have a shared sense of learning. Like if you need help on there, you know, we'll pair up on something together. Uh, and then we can choose how we learn and what we learn, right? That's kind of the, the Nirvana state, uh, but not always possible to get there and definitely not possible to get there right away. So I would say first, just like, um, you know, student driving. Okay, first watch me, you know, basic gradual release of responsibility. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's the same concept and first watch me. So um, that's the way I get through it would be uh, in the agile classroom model. We have a couple of steps, but uh, overall, basically it's like the gradual release of responsibility. Hey, I'm going to show you how this is done. 
right? You know, may use a visual, very visible board, show them the learning process because that's often locked inside the heads of the teacher. Mm-hmm. But we expect, we expect the students to uh, all of a sudden you're self-directed and you know how to learn. <laughs> yeah, right. That's right. not true. That's not true. We, very valid we, point. Yeah, we, I think our lesson plans aren't, aren't visible to the students. Our, our how to think about less, how to learn and how to validate that learning isn't visible to students. So I find often the first step is make learning visible and map out the learning process so they can see it. And we do that visibly with boards usually, yeah. uh, but you can, you can map out whatever process you're doing and then you model that. Okay, here's what we're doing now. You know, here's, here's the learning goal. And here's how we're going to, then I need to think about how to assess that learning goal. How do we know we actually learn that thing? Then what are the activities we do, right? So you you model, scaffold it. So you don't need to start in the beginning. There's a way of scaffolding this. And then you get value as a teacher and students along the way. Each step, you're building capacity. It's like lifting weights, right? Yeah, you might go start out a little bit weak at first, but rep after rep, you you get a little bit stronger. So one, uh, long story there, but is um, that you have to kind of go all in. It's totally self-directed and that it it may be, uh, and then it's going to be chaotic. Which, yeah. will, which can happen, because I've seen it happen. So uh, scaffolding is a, a good way of, of handling that. Um, the other one is, um, which I, I've seen some issues with this too, is, oh, my students don't like to collaborate, right? They don't like to collaborate for whatever reason. And I think this is maybe true for lots of reasons, but I think it's because, like you said, the systems, structures, processes aren't there to support good collaboration. And you can't just expect them to go collaborate. That's a skill. That's a thing that needs to be taught and caught and practiced along the way. So part of it is the patience. And you can scaffold collaboration as well, just like you do self-direction. So there's two levers, at least from uh, me working with teachers, I found it's uh, for scaffolding. It's self-direction. How do you scaffold that incrementally over time? And also collaboration, Mm -hmm. right? So if you expect them, there's a cognitive overload when you collaborate. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and there's a different, well, I should say, an additional collab, uh, cognitive load when you collaborate. There's all the things you need to worry about. Not only are I worried about the learning, but now I got to listen to Aaron, right? And now I got to think about uh, my own ideas and submit and then talk to Aaron about. Then we got to talk about how to combine those ideas and have an agreement. That's all different load, right? According, and then you have the learning part of it in itself. So that also, I think, is often neglected is, oh, it's just like maybe the thing is it's all binary. Self-direction is binary and collaboration is binary. It's not. There's ways that you can grow those things. And there's ways that you as a teacher can help to find the right balance to where, uh, as your podcast says, like maybe not in chaos yet. I find teachers don't like that too much. <laughs> maybe some <spurs. laughs> But maybe you're, you're getting to where, oh, that's challenging, right? Just like the proximity of, uh, you know, you know a, a zone of development. Um, it's, oh, that's a little challenging. That was a little rough, but you know what? That means we're growing. But if you go too far, you're like, oh, that was too much. Let's bring it back down. So with those two levers of collaboration and, and self-direction, there's some dials there you can tune in to help you figure out what's the right balance for us right now and adjust it, you know, as you go along. But eventually over time, by the end of the year, you're, you, you, you've turned up both those dials significantly more than where you started. Yeah, I love that. That I know there was a, I was in a conversation a while back at a conference um, and I was having this conversation and, and one of the educators framed it awesome, which I sometimes like more than, I mean, 
obviously I love the word chaos. It's in my name, my podcast, and I talk about it. But he said it's like trying to push on like on the growth edges, you know, where it's like you've got your, you know, you're not trying to like burst the bubble. You're not trying to go clear off to the deep end. You're just trying to expand those growth edges. And I'm like, yeah. sometimes that comes, that feels a little, maybe a little softer than, uh, you know, diving off into the, the void of, of, of chaos. As- <laughs> but I think you're right. I technically think you're right. I think really the way, if you look at it, if the idea of law schools keep talking about prepare innovative learners, which they do not, I'm sorry, but every time I see this, I look at what they do. I'm like, you know, it's great that you're saying that, but yours, yours not. And uh, you're doing other great things, but innovative learners not happening. Yeah. And uh, I think innovation requires the edge of chaos, though. So I do think, honestly, that uh, that would be the ideal is that yeah. we're able to be on the edge of chaos and be okay with that and be comfortable right. in that state. And what you'll find is you get better results and more innovative learning and uh, emergence happening from those. But I found practically just when I work with teachers, educators, the, you know, the whole chaos thing, uh, hard pill, hard pill to swallow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you, you, you were talking about capacity just, just in your last, uh, idea there. And so I'm curious on this, cause this is something that I know I've been grappling with. And I know a lot of educators that we're trying to figure out how to not like burn ourselves out. Yeah. We know that the work works. Like we can feel it, we can see it. And when you're living and breathing it and, and in the space with students from, from day one until they they've either finish a you know one project or from several of these types of things throughout the year, they're 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 a whole different, they're a whole different person. And we know that, like that, that how, that capacity, their thinking, like you said, the idea of collaboration is you know, we always say it's way different than group work where we say, well, you know, go, go figure it out. Like, well, no, that there, there's gotta be intentionality in those moments to give them the skills to be able to do that. I mean, all the things that you talked about in my head, I was just like, like, yes, 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 yes. And so one of the things that we've been, we've been grappling with for the educators that, that we're trying to figure out this next step, we know it works. We've got some systems in place. We got some tools and we have our value. We got, we got things that we know help get the kids off moving in the right direction. But the big thing we need to do, we come back to the system of education at large. We, we think about those that maybe, um, maybe value content, standardized test scores, that kind of spreadsheet data more, more than on the how of the thinking. Um, what we're trying to grab with and the, where I'm interested in maybe what you've seen is how do you capture uh, like the process of the, of, of how it works. Like you and I mean, at the end of the day, playing the education system to go like, boom, like the assessment measure without it being cumbersome, without it being, make you want to vomit in your mouth a little bit. I know like just for us recently, but I'm interested in, in what you've seen or, or work that you suggest. We've been taking pictures of their boards every week or every time there's an iteration and the goal like from day one we just actually two weeks ago did it and we've got it's it's really fascinating the one school we have a teacher who's done this to understand like has kind of experienced the aha and we have a, then a teacher that's new to all this and the kids were laying out their boards and the words as you can imagine their first rodeo of having the keys very generic very just like they don't know what they don't know and and the, and the educator was like, is this okay? Is this what we're looking for? And I was like, well, yes and no. Like, is this what we what we really want? Absolutely not. But is this where they are? 
so yes, this is exactly what we want because we want to be able to, for them as they work through this and, and they gain the yeah. skills. It's a little bit like, uh, oh, I'm just hearing you say there, yeah. it's just like critiquing art when they first started the painting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, this is what you want and you see like a blotch. <laughs> yeah. oh, we're not, it's just the start, right? There's yeah. still more art yeah. to come. Right? Yeah. But you know, like how do you convert that? Because like I'm trying to think of this, this end story of for that person that maybe doesn't understand it or, or or maybe challenges the things for them to go, oh, I see it now. Um, I mean, do you have any, you know what I mean? Without like. Yeah. Do you, are you saying uh, how would a teacher know they're making progress in this? Yeah. And that, like, yeah. yeah I, I think like you said, the word capacity, because I think that's, gotcha. it's so important. I, to me, I think that's way more valuable than if they can, you know, tell me a couple of dates about this or that or the other like the contents our platform it's our it's our foundation there, there are non-negotiables what we have to teach but really we're using that to get to these much deeper levels of what we want to be which is how to think how to navigate the world how to you know think on our own and think with others yeah you know there's a you know there's a educators know their assessments right they're formative yeah. they're summatives and all this stuff. There's one though I find educators don't know, which or many don't know, which surprises surprises me is ipsative. If I say that, I don't know if I even pronounce it right because I've just read it and never heard anyone actually say it. <laughs> so uh, ipsative, and this is where you actually uh, assess based their benchmark is their prior performance, and you say, did there was improvement? All right, what was the improvement? And I feel like it's a much more agile way, by the way, of saying like, okay, were we better? At, now the question is, better at what? better at what yeah. things, right? And get clarity. And uh, in uh, we have something called the Agile Educator Guide. And in that we developed uh, five, it's almost like a rubric, I guess. Um, we don't call it a rubric, but it's very much like a rubric for collaboration of self-direction. Mm. And there's five steps, five uh, capacities, I guess, five uh, incremental growing capacities that you can face or so one, you can just say, all right, where are we? And we start out like say self-direction would be, you're told, telling them what to do. Yeah. That's level one. And if they can do that well, and that's a capacity to learn, to follow instructions, right? So I'm not discounting that. It's not a bad thing to follow instructions. You need to do that so you can learn to make your own instructions. Yeah. So maybe one, are they able to do that well enough? Doesn't have to be perfect, but well enough. And can they follow the, in, if they're doing like agile classrooms or something, can they, uh, they understand um, if for the planning part when they plan out their lesson. Can they follow along? Can they? Can they? Do they get it? And but maybe they're not actively planning all the way up to they figure out their own goals, right? So one is you can use that those five points. Same with collaboration. Oh, they're just working by themselves. They're not even pair sharing. Just independently, all by you know on the, I shouldn't say independently, but on their own individually. Right. All the way to uh, a shared sense of ownership with the team that we, we do whatever we need to do to get the learning goals met together, right? There's no divide and conquer. There's no like what you tend to see in a lot of education uh, where uh, you have certain roles and you do like a jigsaw. I do one part, you do part, and we come together. It's actually, we're doing it all together all the time. Yeah. That would be the, the you know highest level of collaboration. So one, that is part of it, I think can help. But another part, one thing I've, I learned by watching educators, when I first started this out, uh, I was education technology director. So I'm, I'm not a teacher, like in the sense of like a K-12 teacher, right. uh, but I worked with lots of teachers and educators and they pulled me into it. They're the ones that said, hey, John, can you show us how to do this? We want to try it with our kids. I'm like, 
because I was doing it with our, our staff and the way we did work. I was like, all right, sure. Let's give it a shot. And we'll see what chocolate and peanut butter. When we mix it, what happens. That was in 2009, 2010. And uh, so I worked very closely with educators and, uh, you know, we paired up and I learned a lot, you know, every time I do that with an educator, I'm like, Oh, and, and first I thought I started with scrum and with one classroom with one teacher and she was doing it in different ways and different subjects it was an elementary school so the different subjects and she would do it very collaborative in one way and very more individual participative in math was wasn't so group-based and at first i was like but you're not doing it right in my head i didn't say it out loud right right i said wait a minute john well maybe she is doing it right it's you know maybe we're learning maybe this is a new thing so i just and i as it started to spread i just started to write down what teachers did with the basic concepts and how they applied it. So I came up with a, an insight, some patterns by, from watching them. And then I always ask them, did that work for you? What goals did that mean? I'm like, yeah, that worked for me. And that was different, right? It was a different form. I said, great. And that's how evolution works, right? You take one thing, copy it, and, and it changes a bit, right? You get yeah. errors right, in, in the copy. And some of those errors are going to be advantageous, so uh, I started to just write it down and I had pretty much what I came up with was, oh, they're kind of in a way scaffolding in a way. But number one is make learning visible. Number one, just make it visible. There's no autonomy. Don't worry about the autonomy levels, whatever you're doing today. Don't worry about the collaboration levels, whatever you're doing today. Just make the learning visible itself. And, you know, by visible boards, like you probably have, which I've seen, I think, in your classrooms, Aaron. Uh, but that gives you focus. That gives them uh, the ability to know what's going on at any given time. So just like you post your learning objectives up on the board, right? This is like the extreme version of that. You post all the learning up on the board, everything that's happening, the progress. They're able to monitor their progress where everybody is. So step one is that you're not changing the, you know, the, the autonomy and stuff, the, the collaboration levels, which can be tough. Then um, the next thing, and that's usually the easiest thing to do. Most people can do that right away. Uh, then uh, what, what I call the, the so clarity, then cadence, and then the cadence would be the sprints, what we call the learning sprint. And that's a self-directed learning cycle. Even though you might not be self-directed yet, it's a container to help you say, all right, this is where we are with self-direction. Maybe it's level one, but here are the skills you need to practice you know, every single time. So that's broken into really high level uh, planning. What's our plan for the next week or two, whatever your length is. Uh, a little, what we call a check-in, where we check in and say, where are we? Where do we need help with each other? Uh, kind of almost like a really mini formative assessment where we are. Uh, and then you review it and you show what you actually did. You submit your work, uh, get some feedback on that work. And it's not the final project necessarily, right? But you're getting some earlier feedback. And then you do what we call a retrospective, which is they reflect on the learning and how do we be, how do we become better learners, better you know uh, collaborators? What's our learning process look like? So step two, again, you're not messing with autonomy or collaboration. What they're doing is learning the process of learning, a self-directed learning cycle, and you're modeling that in some ways. Um, and then from there, then you use those two shifts that I talked about before, the collaboration and the choice and the self-direction. But using those two things, uh, the visible learning and the learning sprint, that provides a base, a container, a strong foundation for you to grow self-direction and, and uh, collaboration over time. So I know I'm going all over the place, Aaron, but. Oh, it's great. I, I'm loving it. Yeah. The, I would say that's the other part would be, so make the learning visible, 
the introduce the learning sprint and cadence of the learning cycle because they don't know. You can't just you, they don't know how to plan their learning. Right. They never lesson plan before, and you can't just say just go do it. I mean, sometimes you can, but those are exceptions, honestly. So you need to teach them the learning cycle, model it, all right, in front, and then scaffold that through eventually. Okay, now I'm going to give them more choice, and where am I going to give them more choice, right? And what level of choice I'm going to give them, and then all right, maybe it's time to start getting more collaborative and start shifting them through that. Yeah, no, I love that. I think there's there's so much there, and I, I mean, as you're talking, there's so many great things. I'm over here scribbling down notes and ideas for me to go explore on my own. And then I think for you know a lot of educators, whether they're they think they're directly using this type of stuff or not, I mean, that's it's it's what a lot of good educators do. Uh, naturally, but this, I think that idea of making it visible and, and bringing it to the forefront. And I think at the end of the day, helping students see themselves doing this, because I think a lot of times it, it happens, we see it with the kids, but helping them to visualize and actualize like, holy cow, here's where I was. And, you know, in August I was here and now all of a sudden it's, yeah. it's December yeah. for them to go, holy cow, because I think sometimes it's hard for us to, I mean, not sometimes. I think it always is hard for us to see internally our own growth. We just kind of feels like, oh, I'm kind of the same person, even though we're we're, we're drastically not. Um, and so I like that visual piece, not just for the the sake of, of making things happen, but also for the kids to kind of document their own learning journey, so they can aha yeah. of like, wow, like I'm like I'm making I'm making strides, and that's a great feeling too. Yeah. And not only making strides long-term, but short-term. And they see uh, when I, it's, I know you can't, people can't see what I'm talking about, but yeah, uh, you'd have a board with some lanes, kind of columns, and then they have these cards or sticky notes or something moves through and says, Hey, now we're, you know, we're doing something. Now we're getting some feedback, right. And it moves through now we're done and we can celebrate that and see all the sticky notes or cards in that column. So that it's like a video game. Yeah, kind of yeah. gamifying learning in a way. And if you have a prog- if you have a progress bar in a video game, that motivates kids. And this is in a way a progress bar, a very high, highly visible progress bar for learning. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. You know, John, this has been gosh, it's so good. And I could just continue to go down these different rabbit trails here and and and, and spin and and continue to learn. But I want to be respectful of your time here as we're drawn to a close and uh, so many phenomenal things that you've shared here that I think is, will open up a lot of eyes and create lots of dialogue. And hopefully both they reach out to us on, on, on the socials when they hear the podcast, as well as just continuing to have those conversations back with their own teams. But as we wrap this up, is there anything that you want to share that maybe we didn't get a chance to um, bring out to, to the conversation that as we, we draw to a close here, you want to really make sure that, that, that people don't walk away not hearing. Yeah, I could spend another hour on that. But let's see. <laughs> um, one would be uh, there's people doing this, like Aaron, uh, a bunch of others. So this is practical reality stuff. Uh, I still think it's early phases. So I think it's going to refine and get better over time. And I continue to learn people from people like Aaron all the time to update my model too. And I have just one model and there's others out there. Uh, and two, I think we can't forget the, the needs of the teachers. I think that's often, you know, I hear a lot of, uh, you know, student-centric, which I totally agree with, but I think I, I have more like classroom-centric, like what are all the people in the classroom? How do we meet all their needs, including the teacher? And yeah, even maybe at first it's more cognitive load. I totally get that. Any change always takes more time, 
But over time, what's going to happen is going to, it really does free up the teacher time. Like you can, you should be able to, the ideal classroom is I should be able to leave the classroom and the classroom manage itself. Mm. And I no longer need it to be teaching content and doing as much, you know, there's always behavioral issues sometimes, but as many issues there. And that frees me up to do the other things that I feel like are more important, uh, whatever that is to you. I, I personally think it's connecting more individually with students getting that deeper relationship with them. So I, I think by doing this, initially, yeah, it'd be a little bit harder. It always is at first. But over time, when you get this down and you're really committed to it, your time is freed up to have those deeper relationships and more meaningful work for educators as well. And I think we, we they really need that right now with all the pressures they're under. Yeah, I love that. I love that you brought that up and that's a whole nother conversation we could have. But that's one of the things that I know is like one of the, a huge aha and in some of the classrooms where we've tried to get this stuff started is there comes a point when the kids truly are driving their own work and their own learning where an educator has this moment at somewhere in the trajectory of the learning where they're like, man, I'm not, I'm not needed. Like they're not, I don't have 20 kids screaming my name and and 10 kids with their hands up thinking they just can't do anything until I come address their need. Like they're, they're actually like, doing the thing and that's kind of a surreal moment too and but then that that doesn't mean and not that teachers would definitely go to this route but I, I always joke this doesn't mean you go put your feet up now here is we're just exactly like what you said i'm so glad you brought it up and probably like the the best thing to, to kind of wrap up on is that allows you to go strengthen those relationships that allows you then if there's a group I, that's what we found like if there's a group maybe struggling in the collaboration well now we can go sit in a circle and we can have a conversation and as opposed to saying like everybody must get this learning right now in this moment because some groups maybe don't need it because they are functioning we could go have this this really um personal kind of intimate conversation around the skills and the thinking and how are we going to navigate this this current dilemma that the, that you're facing as a teacher i'm not going to tell you how to do it i might equip you with some tools and ideas and strategies but what are you collectively going to do like you can go do that because the others are doing what they're supposed to be doing and I, i'm so glad you brought that up because it's it's a phenomenal shift and it's kind of like this it's a weird feeling for the educator when it, the first time that, that that happens because they're so used to like always being in need, you know, and um, it's like, oh, you still need it, but it's a whole different way. And it allows you to get to the real core of of, of why you left teaching in the first yeah. place. So that's really grab on, grab on to the next bigger, the next rung of the, the higher thing. You have to let go of the lower thing. And that can be hard. That can be a little yes. scary. Yes, yes, yes. That's a great, that's a great visual because that is sometimes hard to let go of. <laughs> I'm not needed anymore. <laughs> needed a higher level. That's all. Yeah, that's yeah, absolutely. Well, John, this has been this has been so phenomenal. Uh, I have so much to learn, so I feel like I've got a little personal PD session of, of my own. And so I can't thank you enough for, for making time and, and people that listen to the show know all sorts of links will be in the show notes, but I always like to to ask for those that are listening and driving and all that good stuff. Maybe if they're at a red light and want to come follow you quickly, you know, where can people find you, follow your work, know more about all the things you've got going on. I'll get it all linked, but um, always like to end with that note. So, so, so people can start off right away and, uh, find out more about the awesome work that you're doing yeah agileclassrooms.com you can go there and i have a bunch of free resources that i've been 
developing and uh, have more coming to give you, you know, people some tools and structures and guidance on the how to do this, right? Versus just the platitude. So check that out. Awesome. John, I can't thank you enough for your time. Thank you. This has been so awesome. And I cannot wait to get this into the hands of uh, educators. So I appreciate you making time uh, today. Thank you, you, Aaron. Woke up at six o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs, talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation. Chaos.